Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to be called the children of God. We thank you that it's because of what you have done that we have been accepted into the kingdom of God. We worship you for that. You are so good. Come on. Someone just give Jesus a big hand of praise this morning. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Thank you all for bearing with us as we have had some technical difficulty today. Uh, But we are going to push on. We're going to push on through. I am excited for what God has has put on my heart over the last few weeks. I want to share with you today. Uh, And as always, I want to take a moment to thank Brother Billy and Sister Peggy for giving me the opportunity to share with you what God has has put on my heart. And uh, I pray that it will be a blessing to your life this week and that it will uh, start something in you that will carry on uh, for weeks to come. Amen. And for the rest of your life. Amen. We're going to be in the book of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. You can turn there with me this morning. We'll also make sure to put it up on the screen so long as the screen continues to work this morning. Colossians chapter 3. The last two times that I preached, I spoke uh, the first time through Colossians chapter 1 and the second time through Colossians chapter 2. So we're just kind of making our way through this book or this letter of Colossians. And it's an important book. It's an important letter that Paul wrote to a church called, or a church in a town called Colossae. Colossae. Look at your neighbor and say, Colossae. Colossae. Uh, You might be familiar with the word Colosseum. This comes from a Roman town. It's a Roman area, although the Colosseum was not in Colossae. But you can see the the relation there with with Roman culture. Uh, It is a Roman town. It's a small Roman town. And Paul writes this letter to the church in this town because there's a couple of things going on. Number one, there is a a group of people that are trying to come into the church and spread their ideology and and start uh, sharing all of their ideas on who God is and, and, and what he does and and what he's like. And, and so Paul writes a letter because he's warning them. He's telling them, hey, listen, what they are saying about God is not accurate. It is not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God whom you have given your life to is Christians. And so he starts to uh, kind of go back in and, and kind of straighten them out on some theological issues that they're having within the church. He also commends their faith, saying that they are a church that is full of faith. Man, Man, what a, a, uh, a bit of encouragement coming from Paul the Apostle to a church saying, you are a church full of faith. That's amazing. Uh, and then chapter 2, he starts to tell them who they are in Christ. Chapter 1, he sets up who Christ is, that he is supreme. And I love the, the worship set that we had this morning, all about Jesus, all about Jesus. That's what Paul is preaching to the church in Colossae, everything in your life should be and is, whether you, whether you understand it to be or not, everything in your life is about Jesus. In chapter 2, he starts to tell them how they can be confident in Jesus, they can be complete in Jesus, and they can be connected 
to Jesus. And this week, we want to focus in on chapter 3. And the title of my sermon today is, Whatever You Do or Say. Whatever You Do or Say. And as always, you can uh, follow along on the Bible app if you have a, a smartphone or a smart device. You can go on to the YouVersion Bible app and uh, you can follow what's going along. I think they'll put a slide up here to show you how to do that. Uh, but you can, it'll give you our scripture reference and place for you to take notes. There's some announcements of things that are going on here at Calvary Tabernacle. You can find that in the Bible app right there. Uh, so the title of the sermon today is Whatever You Do or Say. And here is the idea that I want us to come away with today. It's that every area of your life should be affected and influenced by Jesus. Every area of your life should be affected by and influenced by Jesus. That's how big of a deal he was, and that's how big of a deal he is today. That's what Paul is, is lining out in this book of Colossians. Everything, whatever you do or say, everything should be affected by Jesus. And so uh, we're, we're just going to read chapter 3 real quick, and then we'll dive into this. So Colossians chapter 3, this is what Paul says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits at the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Someone needs to just underline that right there. That, that will be enough for you to feed on for the rest of the year. Verse 5, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now, now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Ooh, that's good. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric uncivilized, slave, or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This next one's hard, so you might want to cover your ears. I don't know. You shouldn't. I'm not saying you should, but you're going to want to. <laughs> Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Wow. Wow. What would happen if we as the church 
lived off of that one verse. My goodness. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as a member of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say... Do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done. For God has no favorites. And then I want to read verse 1 of chapter 4. Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray today that as we look into it, God, that our hearts would be open, that our minds and our ears would be open to receive everything that you have for us today, and that we would walk out of this place changed that we would walk out of this place renewed, and that we'd walk out of this place set on fire to serve you and to love you and to share you with the world. In Jesus' name, someone say amen. 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 There's a story, it goes like this. Uh, There was a man who went to a shopping center to buy a pair of shoes. He's early in the morning on his way to work. He stops in the, the shopping center, walks into the shoe store, and he's browsing and looking around on the shelves trying to find the perfect pair of shoes. And, and as a store clerk comes over to him and offers his assistance and says, is there anything I can help you with? And the man found holding a pair of shoes, he said, do you have this pair of shoes in a size 8? The man asked him, well, sir, are you buying these shoes for yourself or for someone else? He said, oh, I'm buying them for myself. And the store clerk said, well, sir, I, I don't mean to offend you in any way, but I've been working with people and with shoes for a long time, and I've developed this ability to, I can just look at someone's foot and know roughly, pretty accurately, what size they wear. And he said, sir, I don't think you're going to fit in a size 8. You might need a size 10 and a half or maybe even an 11. And the man said, I thought you asked me if you could help me. And the store clerk said, well, I, I did. He said, well, I want these shoes in a size 8. The store clerk was a little confused and a little bit shocked at this man, but he reluctantly, he went to the back and found a size 8, and he brought it back to the man and and asked the man, well, would you like me to help you try them on? 
So the, the customer agreed. And for 10 minutes, they worked on squeezing his foot into this size 8. The man had to strain and try so hard, even curling up his toes as best he could to to force his foot into the shoe. And after about 10 minutes, they finally got both shoes on and the, the man stood up and he was grimacing in pain and he took a few steps and he wobbled and limped as he, he stepped and the store clerk was just baffled. He said, sir, if you don't mind me asking, how come you are so set on getting a size eight. The customer, a little bit annoyed, said, well, a few weeks ago, my mother-in-law moved in with my wife and my kids and I. And ever since then, she's been rearranging the house and and throwing out things that she thinks are junk, but they're not because it's my stuff. And and my wife has been on edge, and she's been grumpy, and, and she's been complaining and bickering. And the kids, they have been misbehaving so much, and everybody's mood is just off. And he, he said, it's, it's awful. It's awful. He said, I don't have anything to look forward to whenever I come home from work anymore. He said, at least this way I can look forward to taking off my shoes at the end of the day. I'll have something to look forward to. Let me tell you, church, whenever it comes to Jesus, whenever he moves in, it should change everything about our lives. Everything should be changed when Jesus moves in. And this is what Paul is saying right here at the very beginning of the chapter. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ. And what he's about to do for the rest of the chapter that we just read, he's about to lay out all of the areas of our life that should be affected because we now have been raised to life, new life, with Christ. Here's point number one if you're taking notes. You can write this down. You're not who you used to be. You're not who you used to be. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, you are not who you used to be. This is the starting point. It's the moment, as Paul points out, it's the event that will change the rest of your life. It should change how you live your life. And I love what verse 5 says. It says, so put to death. Verse 1, since you have been raised to new life with Christ... Skipping down to verse 5, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Can I give you some encouragement today? Because it, is, it just seems to be in our human nature that we have this feeling that we've got to do it all on our own. I cannot tell you as a pastor how many times I have talked with people and counseled people and they've, they've come up to me and they've said things like, well, one day when I get my life together, one day whenever I get it all together, then I'll come to church. Then I'll serve the Lord. And Paul is saying this, no, no, no. The starting point is since you have been raised to new life with Christ, so now put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. You see, the way, church, I I will be preaching this until I go into my grave. The way 
that we deal with our sin is Jesus. That's it. That's it. From start to finish, it all depends on Jesus. Paul just got done laying this out in the first two chapters. It starts with Jesus. It ends with Jesus. You cannot handle your sins on your own. You will drown in them. But whenever you give your life to God, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, now you've been given the power from the Holy Spirit to deal with the things that have been plaguing your life. But we've got to start at the starting point, church, since you have been raised to new life. I don't know about you, but I love the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, every, every Christmas, whenever we celebrate, have our Christmas service, and we celebrate and, and preach about Jesus coming down to this earth for, for messed up, stupid people like me, and then every Easter, whenever we talk about him going to the cross, taking my sin, my punishment to the cross and handling it there, I, I, every time. I cry like a baby, church. I cry like a baby because he is and has been so, so good. I think a lot of times, though, as Christians, we think of this gospel story as Jesus just coming down from heaven, being born of a virgin woman, living a sinless life, and then taking our punishment and taking it to the cross and it being nailed to the cross there with him. And a lot of times we, we celebrate on Easter the resurrection, but the rest of the year we don't give a whole lot of focus to what the resurrection truly means for us as believers. I want you to think about this. Your sins were dealt with on the cross, but the resurrection is not just a tidy ending to a really good story. The resurrection means something for you. It means something. The end of the story is not our death hanging on the cross. The story continues. There's a resurrection, church. What does that mean for us as the believers? Paul's saying right here, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, with Jesus' resurrection, we have been raised to new life as believers. If you put your faith in Jesus... It's not just forgiveness of your sins, but it's new life through Christ. And it's being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Come on, church. That's good. That's good. Hmm. It means something for us. So what does it mean for us? It means that we should live like Jesus lived after his resurrection. What happened after his resurrection? After his resurrection, Jesus left the tomb. So should we. So should we. We don't live there anymore, church. You don't have to live dead to your sin, church. We have been raised to new life with Christ. After his resurrection, Jesus spent his remaining time being with and ministering to his disciples. And so should we. We should spend our Christian lives loving, serving, and fellowshipping with other believers. 
serving one another with brotherly affection. After Jesus' resurrection, Jesus lived in supernatural power with the ability to do impossible things. So should we. Come on. We're not living in a dead religion. Oh, man, if we, if, if we could just grasp this. We don't live serving a God of a dead religion. We serve a God who is alive and powerful. He resurrected up out of that grave, and he walked on this earth for several more days, showing us how we should live as resurrected believers. His resurrection means something for us. Well, after his resurrection, Jesus looked forward to heaven, knowing he would soon enough ascend there in church. So should we, recognizing that our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship is there. Come on. This is what Paul is trying to tell the church in Colossae. And in verse 11, he says, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave, or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. This is what Paul is saying. He's talking to a group of people in the Roman Empire. They were uh, former idolaters. They were former heathens. They were former barbarians doing unspeakable things. And Paul says this, it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. Why? Because that old life is dead and gone. You have been given a new life in Christ Jesus. And in this life, as a believer, the only thing that matters is Jesus. It's Jesus. Come on. This is what that means for you, church. And I don't know if anyone came in these doors struggling with these thoughts today. But it doesn't matter who you were. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you've come out of. It doesn't matter how selfishly you lived. What matters now is that Jesus is at the center of your life. That's all that matters. We have been resurrected to new life. Your sins have been dealt with and you have been given new life. I love what Paul says to the church in Corinth and 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17, he says, So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Remember, our focus should be heaven. Set your sights on the heavenly realities. He said, we stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. Man, how differently we know him now. Since he got up out of that grave, we know him differently now. Verse 17, he says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Listen, if you've joined your life to Christ, then you share not only in his death, but you share in his resurrection. You get to live in a new life. 
Here's point number two. I want you to think about this. This is what Paul tells the church there. He, Set your mind on heaven. Set your mind on heaven. In verse 1, he says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits at the place of honor at God's right hand. Over the past several years, I believe that my mindset has really changed whenever it comes to this. And I'm not trying to make any type of statement by saying this, but please hear me. This is not my home. It's not. I'm a foreigner here. I don't belong here. (laughs) If someone's ever looked at you and said, go back to where you belong, I would tell them, I wish I could. If I could right now, I would. I want to go to where I belong. This world is not my home, church. And over the last few years, and I know the things have have gotten chaotic, and and there's just political turmoil, and there's just war and, and sin just abounding in our world. But even if it wasn't, this is not my home. This is not my home. I was born in Atlanta, Texas, little old hospital in Atlanta, Texas, lived here my entire life except for my college years where I moved to Dallas. I'm born and raised here in East Texas, but here's the reality. If you were to kidnap me from my home, chain me up, throw me on a barge and sail me across the ocean and take me to some third world country and put me in the bottom of a dungeon and chain me there, neglecting me of any human need, I would, listen, I would no less be at home there than I am here because this is not my home. Paul is telling the church this, listen, you're here? And God, listen, I believe God put me here for a reason. I believe I was born and raised and, and that I'm here now for a reason. I believe that wholeheartedly, but it's not my home. It's not my destination. It's not my final resting place. One day I'm going to be in heaven. <laughs> listen, heaven is my home. Come on, church. We have to learn to set our minds on heaven. I love what the writer of Hebrew wrote about Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 15 and 16, he said this, If they had longed for a country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Can I step on your toes for just a minute? Someone said, no, (laughs) I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) You know I am. (laughs) If your mind is spent more on the United States of America than it is on heaven, then your mind is in the wrong place, church. He said, set your sights on the realities of heaven. 
we're not there yet, but we can see it. Come on. So that should change and affect the way that we live here on this earth. Mm, I don't belong here, church. I don't belong. Set your sights on heaven. And then he says in, in verse 5 again, So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. So put to death. This, is, this comes from the Greek word necrosate, meaning literally to make dead. Paul says, make dead the sinful earthly things lurking about in your life. Assassinate them. Murder them. I'm not trying to get too gross, but cut their heads off. I'm not talking about people. <laughs> some of you are like, listen, I got some, some things lurking about around my house. Listen, we're he's saying the sinful earthly things, right? Those fleshly passions, you've got to make them dead. Put them in the grave. This is what he's saying right here. You've got to set your sights on heaven. And to do that, you're going to have to kill some things in your flesh. You're going to have to put them to death. He uses a very strong word with a very strong idea, not to simply control evil acts and attitudes, but to kill evil thoughts and attitudes, to kill evil actions in your life. And then I love what he does. He starts naming sin by their name. <laughs> He says, have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy. Don't lie. And he starts going off on all of these sins, calling them out by name. Why? Because it's easier to fall into sin when you don't know what it is. But if you know it by name, as a believer, that thing should be disgusting to you. Our attitude should be, this is dead to me, and I am dead to it. One day, whenever I was in college, living on campus, this old raggedy, three-legged, one-eyed dog infected with the mange comes limping on up into our college campus. And I remember at first, like, looking at this dog, I mean, I'm... I'm I love dogs. I'm, I'm a dog fan. This thing was ugly. It was sh shameful looking, hideous. It just, oh, just the thought of it. I mean, you feel like if you made contact with its one eye that you would catch whatever disease it had. Like this thing was so just tick ridden. I mean, just had a tough, tough life. And so for the first couple of days, like, he, he limps onto our campus, and he just kind of sticks around for a little while. And for the first couple of days, the, all the students there are like, man, I'm, I'm not getting anywhere close to that dog. He's probably got rabies. It's, it stinks. Like, stay away from it. And, uh, but over the course of, you know, several days, the good-hearted people in the student body felt sorry for the dog. And so... After lunch, they would go to the cafeteria, and after lunch, they would take some scraps out from their plate, and they would leave it on the sidewalk for this dog. We found out very quickly that his favorite food was french fries, of all things. 
I'm talking about a raggedy old dog, church. And since students started leaving food out, this dog just decided, this is home now. This is where I live. This is where I stay. This is my home. These are my people. (laughs) And it's funny because over the course of a couple of weeks, all the students started becoming attached to this old raggedy dog. Still, no one's wanting to pet him or anything like that, but, you know, we're, we're taking pictures of him, and, you know, people are, like, leaving food out for him. And, and so, of course, anytime that happens, as a student living on a campus where you are not allowed to have pets in your dorms, you know, we're like, hey, this, this could be our school mascot. This could be it right here. So we're like, we've got to give him a name. So several names kind of floated through the student body over that second week that he was living with us. And the name that stuck (laughs) is Job. Job. (laughs) This old raggedy dog (laughs) with every disease imaginable. Looks like everything in its life has gone wrong. We affectionately named him Job. And everyone started looking out for Job. Everyone's like trying to do everything they can to help Job. And, and he just he just sticks around for almost an entire semester. And we, we've been thinking this whole time, like surely campus security is like going to call animal control and they're going to come get this atrocity and take it off of our campus, right? But almost an entire semester, he's living on campus with us, sleeping under people's cars and eating scraps on the sidewalk. And one day we noticed... Has anyone seen Job? Where's Job? Somebody take him? Did he finally get run over? Like, I mean, did someone finally like say, hey, we got to, you know, where's Job? And so, of course, all of these rumors start spreading all over the school. And the story was that one day someone was going to feed Job and Job bit that person. And so finally... Apparently, according to urban legend, he got picked up by animal control, and that was, that was the end of, of Job, right? We don't know. We don't know. I don't know if that story's true or not. This is what I do know. A lot of us treat our sin like an old stray dog. <laughs> Y'all aren't going to like me for a second. A lot of us believers, Christians, We know our sin. We even know its name. But for some reason, we've allowed it to just kind of come and and stick around and follow us around. And and we we don't take it into our homes. We don't feed it good dog food. We don't make sure its vet stuff is up to date. But we're not gonna get it away. We're not gonna push him away. Every now and then we'll, we'll throw out some scraps. It's not allowed in the home, and I'm not paying for its vet bills, but as long as it doesn't bother anything, I'll throw it a scrap and I'll throw it a bone every now and then. Church, how many of us treat our sin like that? And we just allow it to stick around. And, and this is what Paul is saying. If you feed it, it's going to grow. The idea is if you feed sin, it will grow, but if you starve it, it's going to die. And like, I'm not trying to be insensitive. I know there's some people in here like, oh, I can't believe you would talk about a dog this way. I'm not, I'm not trying to listen. I'm a dog lover. I'm with you. I'm with you. But this is what I'm trying to say. 
if you feed it, it's going to grow. If you starve your sin, it's either going to die or it's going to go away. But it won't stay. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, put it to death. Get rid of it. It's dead to you, and you are dead to it. It doesn't belong. It has no place in your home. It has no place in your life. Mm. Here's my last point right here. Point number three, nothing is off limits. Nothing is off limits. Church, you're not who you used to be. So set your minds on heaven. And make the determination in your heart and in your life and in your home that Jesus, for you, nothing is off limits. Nothing is off limits. I love what Paul says in verse 4. He says, when Christ, who is your life? Who is your life? Believers, if you have put your trust in Jesus if you have determined in your life that you are going to follow Christ, then he is your life. Can I ask you a question? Have you been putting limits on him? Let it be said of my life, church, that Christ is my life. He is my life, not my career. I don't want, whenever I die someday, I don't want people to say, he, he was a, a good pastor. That's not what I'm aiming for. I don't, listen, I don't want my life to be known about my hobbies. My family and I were getting ready to, to go visit some national parks up in the Dakotas here in a, about a week or so. And, and I, I love my hobbies. I love to backpack. I love all, all things outdoors. But I don't want it said of my life that he's an outdoor enthusiast or loves to backpack. Like, I, I don't want it said of my life that I, I was a particular person in, in politics or my, my beliefs in politics were so hard leaning in one direction that, that that's who he was. I don't want it said of my life that my emotions were what carried me and, and what helped or hurt others. Listen, of my life, I want it said that he loved Jesus. He loved Jesus. His entire life was devoted to Jesus. Church, that's what I want. That's, that's what I want my legacy to be. And if that's the legacy you want to live, then you have to make a determination in your mind and in your home and in your family that God to you, nothing is off limits. I'm not holding anything back for myself. I'm not reserving anything unto myself for you. Nothing is off limits. It's all yours. It's all yours. Y'all probably been wondering, when is this game of Jenga about to start? This right here, this little Jenga tower right here, I want it to, to represent for just a moment your life. Your life. Most of us, we take great time and great care in, in building up our lives over the years. And, and we want it to be strong and sturdy and we want it to stand up straight. And then for a lot of people, this is why I love working with, with youth and children because you can help them while they're young. Because <laughs> then if you get older and you give your life to Jesus, it gets a little bit harder to do this. Let's be honest. Because a lot of us will say, well, God, I've given my life to you, so uh, 
no, here, you can have this part. You can have this part. Oh, uh, I'm going to go to church on Sundays. My family and I, we're going to make it a priority to go to church on Sundays. So there's that. And uh, we're, we're going to pray every night around the dinner table. So we'll give you that part of our life, Jesus. And, uh, you know, every now and then I, I may volunteer, you know, at a food drive or, or to help the homeless. Or you can have that part. Some weekends, Jesus, but not during football season. But some of the time you can have my weekends. Um, let's see here. Let's see what else can I find in my life. Uh you know, my, my, my kids, I love my kids. I love them. And I'm going to trust you with them. But, but also, if there's a big decision, I might decide on that. And so we, we look at our lives and we start to compartmentalize all of the things, all of the emotions, all of the to-do list, and, and we start to say, you know, God, you're, you're good, and, and you're worthy of, of this, and you're worthy of that, and we start to kind of take it apart piece by piece and give it to him. This is what Paul is saying is this. That's not what a believer does. As a believer, this whole thing belongs to Christ. Christ, who is your life. Let me show you what happens whenever we start to give Jesus part of our lives. What happens? Things start to get a little unstable, right? And we're wondering, like, why is my life seeming to fall apart? God, I go to church every Sunday. Lord, I've even decided to tithe. And my life, like every time wind starts to blow or every time someone walks by your life, you, you get, oh, no, don't, no, no. Oh, my goodness. Wow. That was close. We start to get worried. What Paul is saying is this. As a believer, this is how you commit your life to Christ. Are you ready? And we say, God, I, it feels like my life is falling apart, and I put my trust in you. I put my faith in you. And I, I gave you everything. And here's the thing we've got to understand, church. It may look like and it may feel like your life has just fallen to pieces and scattered all over the floor. But here's the thing, church. We serve a really big God. And his arms are big enough to hold you and your family and your kids, and your career, and everything else that you can put into the hands of God. He can carry it. He can hold it. He can move it. He can, listen, you can be changed by him. Your life as a believer should not be a compartmental life. You should put it all in Jesus' hands. Let him have it all, church. Let them have it all. And guess what? You don't have to worry about falling. You don't have to worry about someone coming and some relationship entering into your life and knocking it all over. Why? Because your hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Come on, church. Come on. Paul says this in verse 15. Let the peace that comes from Christ 
rule in your hearts. Rule. Did y'all know that that's a sports term? Paul actually, in a lot of his writings, he uses a lot of sports analogies in sports terms. He talks about boxing. He talks about racing. He uses a lot of sports uh, terminology in his letters that he writes. This is a sports term. This word rule is a Greek word. Let me see if I can't remember if I wrote it down or not. Um, Yeah. Brabion. Greek word brabion. It means to umpire. I'm a big fan of baseball. I'm loving it. Right now, my Rangers are, are trying to get into the postseason. They've had a little bit of a hard time lately, but it's, it's going to happen. It's gonna, we're going to trust and believe. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> we're going to trust and believe that they're going to make it. That's not how that works, church. I know that. I'm not trying to be slanderous or anything. But there's one thing about baseball I found this out firsthand, is that the players, the coaches, and the fans all hate one person, the umpire. No one likes him. Poor fella. I umpired here in Atlanta for uh, the 10 and under league uh, for a little while, and I found that out very quickly. No one likes you. They don't care about you. There's nothing in their heart where they're like, oh, this guy is, no, mm -mm. they don't like you. Because the umpires have to make the calls. If there's a close play, if it's one of those things where the runner's foot touches the bag right as the, the fielder catches the ball, is he out? Or is he safe? Everyone's like, tie goes to the runner. No, the actual rule is the umpire makes the decision. (laughs) That's the actual, the umpire. It's a judgment call on the umpire. And in baseball, whenever an umpire makes a judgment call, it's irreversible. Now, with today's modern technology and stuff, a lot of that's changed. But you go to Little Leagues in Atlanta, mm, it's still the same. That umpire makes the call, and that's why most everyone hates him. But this is what Paul is saying right here. Let the peace of Christ call the shots in your life. Mm. When it comes to your life, nothing is off limits, God. Nothing is off limits. You call the shots. You make the determinations. If there's a, a moment in my life where it seems like things could be close and could go either way, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to revert to you. I'm going to say it's yours. Handle it. Do it. I'll follow wherever you lead me. If the worship team would come on up this morning. Paul even says in the very next verse, verse 16, let the message about Christ in all its riches, richness fill your lives. He didn't say let the message of Christ be a part of your life. He didn't say let the message of Christ be this thing in your life that, that's cute and makes you look good to other people. He didn't say let the the good news about Jesus determine how you act on Sundays or Wednesdays. He said, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Fill your lives. Let that be our heart, church. God, there is nothing off limits. 
There is nothing off limits to you. Every nook and cranny of my life, every space, every aspect, every moment, it's yours to do with. God, just fill my life. Fill my life. And in verse 17, Paul says this, and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. I love this. You need to highlight or underline this if you've got a Bible there with you. Paul says, and whatever you do, do it as a representative of Christ. Did y'all realize I, I skipped something right there? Whatever you do or say, I love it. This is, this is the idea that Paul is giving right here. We can't just do something for God because you can have ulterior, ulterior motives when it comes to doing something for God. He said, whatever you do or say, what does the word of God say? That out of the mouth, out of the mouth, the heart speaks. It's not just about what you do, church. It's about your heart too. <laughs> Nothing is off limits to you, God. Nothing is reserved. Nothing is held back. It's all for you. And Paul continues on in the rest of the book, verse 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. He gives them practical ways to live out a lifestyle that has been affected in every area by Christ. And he does it by addressing the home, the family unit in the little third-rate country town of Colossae. He says, wives, you must submit to your husbands. Husbands, you must love and honor your wives. Children, you must obey your parents. Parents, don't provoke your children. Slaves, be obedient to your masters. Masters, treat your slaves with fairness and respect as a fellow member of the body of Christ. That's what Paul was saying in those verses right there. But I want you to notice, there's a reason why he gave them these instructions. It's because in Colossae, in Roman culture at that time, the man, the father, the patriarch, he was the head of the home and he ruled. And he had the power to bring life or death to the members in his home under Roman law. If he felt like one of his children weren't acting right, take him out and kill him. Get rid of him, discard him, throw him out. And Paul is saying this, listen, as a believer, there's a new ruler in the home. And it's Jesus. Everything that you do now should revolve around one man. That's Jesus. That is why, wives, you should submit to your husbands as you submit to the Lord. To the Lord. Why? Because the Lord is the head of the home now. Husbands, you should love your wives and never treat them harshly. Why? 
because you're no longer the ruler of the home. There's a new ruler. It's Jesus now. And children, you should obey your parents because this is right in the sight of the Lord. There's a new ruler in your home. You don't just obey your parents just because they said so, but you obey your parents because it's honorable to the Lord. And he goes down the list for everyone. I want you to notice what Paul did. He didn't restructure the family group. He didn't say, this is Roman culture, do away with it. He never, listen, this is going to be hard to hear, but he never even told the masters, hey, let your slaves glow let your slaves go. He never told the slaves, hey, rebel against your masters and, and get retribution. He never said any of these things. He, Paul addressed them in the culture that they were in, but told them to be transformed in that culture. The structure remained, but the transformation took place. Now the family unit, it might look seemingly like the rest of Rome, but now the family unit is loving one another, serving one another, and loving and serving and honoring God all together. What would that mean? How many of y'all are from this area? Any of y'all from Atlanta, Queen City, Cass County? Any of y'all from Cass County? I think you can relate really well to the people in Colisee. It's a little bitty country town. And Paul is telling them to do something within their homes that's going to raise a lot of eyebrows around them. He's saying this, listen, because you have been raised to new life with Christ, that should reflect in everything you do. That should reflect in every relationship. Why do you do it? He says it right here. Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Jesus to God the Father. Now everything we do or say is to represent Christ to the world, but it's also to worship God, giving thanks through God, through Christ to God the Father. Jesus affecting every area of our life should cause worship to come up from our hearts. Whatever you do, whatever you say, all for the glory of God. This is what I want to challenge you to do this week. If you would stand to your feet. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. Paul told them, put on your new nature and be renewed. How? As you learn to know your creator, and become like him. So whether you're a brand new Christian or whether you've been a Christian for longer than I've been alive, the way to be renewed in Christ is right here. The word of God. How are we renewed? By learning to know Christ learning to know our creator. Can I encourage you to do something? This may be tough. I know for a lot of believers, you've got 500 different Bible plans you're reading and studies you're doing with all kinds of different people. But if you have the moment or you don't have anything else going on in your, your Bible reading, studying lifestyle, this is what I want to encourage you to do. Between now and Christmas, read the New Testament. Read the New Testament between now and Christmas. Just so you know, Christmas is only 99 days away, y'all. 99 days away. 
I want to challenge you and encourage you to read the New Testament in these next 99 days. Get to know, learn to know your creator. And by doing that, you will be renewed in him. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that we would allow our lives to be touched in every area by you, Jesus. That we would not hold anything to ourselves, God, but that we would give you every part, every aspect, every moment, every ounce of our being, God, that we would say, Lord, nothing is off limits to you. You can have it all. My eyes, my sights are set on heaven. The only thing I desire is you, Jesus. I'm here for you, God. And if there's anybody here in this room today that you need prayer, maybe you didn't come up a little bit earlier. Maybe you came up earlier and you want prayer again. We want to encourage you to come and we'll have people that would love to pray with you. This week, make it your declaration that God, it's all for you. There's nothing off limits to you. And I'm going to dedicate my whole life to you because you are supreme in everything. Amen. Come on, church.